Well, good morning, everyone. And for those of you who are joining us online, I have this uh, mat here to help me not move. Uh, I was told that, you know, now that we're filming stuff, like I have to stay in frame, which is like a totally, you know, you're sitting up here, you're trying to remember all your, you know, the things that the Holy Spirit's laid on your heart, and now you got to like think about the carpet. So uh, <laughs> you just have to excuse me if I'm like, oh, bumping up against the invisible barrier here. Uh, but yes, if any of you are new with us today, either online or here in this theater, uh, I just want to thank you for joining us and let you know that our heart's desire is to see you move from being a guest with us to being part of our family. And one of the most simple ways that you can get started in that process is uh, by texting the number that you see on the screen in front of you. Uh, and myself or someone else from our team will be happy to follow up with you and let you know what some of those next steps are. Um, if I haven't done this already, I can't remember because, you know, carpet. But uh, my name's Andrew, and it's my great privilege to be uh, to be teaching us from God's Word this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open them up to Matthew chapter 19. Uh, for sake of time, I'm not going to do a ton of preamble here. Uh, just get right into the text. Um, so we are uh, walking through the book of Matthew together. And uh, last week, we read Jesus' uh, words to the Pharisees who were a religious group uh, in his day, uh, kind of the religious elites, and, uh, and has had this continual confrontation as he's moving towards Jerusalem, and he knows that this is eventually going to lead to uh, this clash that will end up with his death. And so we see this continue on. Last week, he had this confrontation around a particular trick question that they were posing to him. Uh, and Jesus did what Jesus always does, which is undermine the very premise of their question and showed them how they were actually looking at the idea of marriage all wrong. Um, and this week, uh, he's going to kind of continue on that familial theme. Um, but uh, after he talked about marriage, Jesus spoke also to uh, singleness. Today is going to be a little bit strange for those of you who don't have kids, because uh, I'm going to be talking about kids. I think that the title that I gave Brianna for this sermon uh, was Parenting Hacks from Jesus. Um, and, uh, and so it, it can be easy in a moment like this if you're not a, a parent or if you're not a parent of small kids in this, in this moment where you don't have that day-to-day -day significant influence in your kid's life as you might have in previous times, uh, or to, to kind of just check out and be like, okay, this isn't for me. Um, and uh, what I hope you got um, from just watching Glory share a little bit of her story is that uh, these tips may be true for parents, but they're also true for anyone who calls themselves a Christian and is part of a church family. And so if you're here as a teenager, you're here as a single person, you're here as someone who's an empty nester, you're here as a couple that doesn't yet have kids, uh, these, that doesn't mean that uh, what I talk about today doesn't include you. And so anything I say to parents is also true for you as you have a chance to come alongside parents in the context of their large church family and speak into the lives of the children that God has placed in our in our communal care. And, and we do believe that. It's why we do child dedications and parent commissions, because we actually believe that the church's job is to come around families and help kids encounter Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 19, and I'm going to jump right in here to verse 13. It says this, then the people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them so parents are coming, they're like, okay, we want our kids to have this encounter with Jesus, and suddenly they get up to the, the disciples, Jesus' fathers, and like, no, get away, scram, you little runts. And Jesus said to the disciples, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And when he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. 
three very short verses, but I think as we dive in, we're going to see they're so packed with rich meaning. So on one hand, it's clear that Jesus looks at the response of the parents, this desire to bring their kids to have an encounter with him as a positive. And we see from his response to the disciples that their rebuke of the parents is actually seen as a negative. And so on one hand, we have this positive example that we should look to and start to try and understand why this is so important to Jesus. And at the same time, we have the response of the disciples which is gonna serve as a warning to us. And then we see uh, Jesus actually give a couple of commands. And so I wanna start off by looking at the the parents' response. Now, uh, this may not be true as much in our day and age as it is in theirs, but kids were not really thought well of in that time. And, and I don't mean that they were like disliked or that people didn't love their kids, but their place in society was very low. Uh, D.A. Carson, who is a... Um, a scholar who specializes in understanding the time that Jesus lived, he writes this, and I think it's helpful for for us. He says, although children in Judaism of the time were deeply cherished, so though people loved their kids, they were thought in some ways to be negligible members of society. Their place was to learn, to be respectful, and to listen. Uh, Kids didn't often live very long, and they weren't really of great value until they could produce something, and so they were negligible members of society. They were unimportant. And so when someone is coming to bring their kids to encounter Jesus, who is a popular teacher of his day, surrounded by crowds, confronted by Pharisees, I mean, the, the parents had to actually make a decision that they knew was going to be unpopular. They had to say, okay, we're going to push through the adversity of our culture because we think it is so important for our kids to have this encounter with Jesus. And it says that they brought their kids to Jesus. Why? So that he could lay his hands on them, bless them, and pray for them. They knew that Jesus was so special, that he was, he was so important, that they knew that even just an encounter with him where he was able to just touch their kids to pray for them, to intercede on their behalf was going to be important for their lives. And not only did they have to overcome that adversity just in, in terms of their culture, they had to overcome uh, a group of disciples who were basically telling them to get lost. And I mean, just imagine how you'd feel, okay? So I have two kids. My son is like a month old and my daughter's 21 months old. And I can just imagine my wife, Shannon, like going over to this group of like 12 working class dudes, probably like tatted up. You know, these are guys are like blue collar workers for the most part, fishermen, burly guys. And they're like, hey, get out of here. And I usually see my wife being like, okay, I guess, yeah, I'm going to change course. And yet they don't. These guys who would be intimidating to any person don't intimidate these parents. Again, they're so driven by this understanding that their kids need to have an encounter with Jesus that they're willing to push through that. And Jesus looks at that and he says, this is actually a really good thing. And, And When Jesus says it's a good thing, I think if we're to be followers of Jesus, we should probably pay attention to that. In essence, Jesus is saying the most important thing for these kids is for them to have an encounter with me. And for us as a church, we need to note that. We need to note that part of our job 
as a body of Christ is to make sure the kids that have been placed in our midst have regular encounters with Jesus. Now, Matthew has situated this story right after this whole entire talk that Jesus did about the purpose of marriage. And if you were here last week, you may remember that we talked about how God's design for marriage was that a marriage relationship would be a space that imaged him to the world, that showed the world what his rule, his love was like. And part of that was that the marriage relationship was a means by which more image bearers were going to be brought into the world so that God's glory and God's presence would be spread through his people. And so we see that we have this calling to produce image bearers who will bear God's image, but there's a problem. And the problem is, is that if, if we're to produce those image bearers, we ourselves are completely marred. Uh, just this morning, <laughs> just this morning, my daughter uh, wakes up early and she's just, you know, a colossal pain. I mean, I love her, but she's a pain. She decides she's gonna take off all of her clothes in the crib. And I'm like, I just wanted to sleep in a little bit. Like, it's flip day. Like, I just. <sighs> And so I go in there, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to put you back to bed. I put her back to bed. I'm like, okay, I got a few, few minutes where I could try and squeeze in some sleep. She wakes up, she doesn't really go back to sleep. And then I'm like, okay, I got to get ready to, to go and, and get ready to preach this morning and get to the gathering. And she's like, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to put some books in your bed and some toys. And you just play quietly until mom's ready to wake up. Does she do that? No. She throws her books. I hear it. Thump. 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 Like, what the heck? Go back. Isla, what are you doing? (laughs) Now she starts crying because daddy yelled at her. (laughs) Okay, so then later, Shannon gets up. She's finally got Ben, our like one month old, to sleep. And then he, uh, we're trying to keep Isla away from him because he's not sleeping. We're tired. Isla starts like trying to go there. So I grab her. She starts screaming. And I'm getting so mad. I like cover her mouth and she starts screaming even more. I'm like, man, I'm going to mess up my kid. I have no patience. I'm yelling at her. I'm upset. Like, of course, she's, that's going to rile her up. The point of this is that I am inherently marred and I am going to wreck my kids. And all of you are the same. And so we have this calling to produce these image bearers, and yet we're failing at it because we are marring them, and they become marred image bearers. But here's where the beauty of the gospel comes in. You see, every person since Adam and Eve uh, failed to obey God has been this way until Jesus Paul in Colossians says Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, that in Jesus that we are born again. That we are born again into a new creation, one that is not marred by sin, one that is not going to pass along the brokenness. That is Jesus. 
in Jesus we become transformed. So why is it so important for these parents to bring their kids to have an encounter with Jesus? Because that is the only way they can actually become the type of people to fulfill the calling that God has on all humanity. So the question is, if this is our calling as a church, as individuals, as parents, how do we do this? How do we create regular spaces for our kids to encounter Jesus? He's not uh, like these parents. He's not like on some hill somewhere where we can just bring our kids over and push through some disciples to try and like plop them on Jesus' lap like he's Santa Claus and have him like uh, bless them. We, We actually have to find intentional ways to do this as a church family. Now, I'm going to give you some, some lists here. And for those of you who are parents, especially the people who are watching this in the second gathering, uh, there, there's going to be this possible response that you might have. You might listen to this list and you might start thinking, oh man, you're killing me. You're killing me, Andrew. Like, I'm trying so, so hard. And you just gave me this list of things and I looked at that list and I am not doing any of them. And I, w- I want to caution our hearts in this process. This list is not a list of like, hey, check boxes, and if you're doing this, you're killing it, and if you're not doing this, you're failing at it. This is a list of suggestions, and my encouragement for you is, is to look at it and say, hey, is there something here that I can start implementing in my family or that I can start, as Glory does with her niece, like implementing the relationships that I have with the kids in my life that can help them encounter Jesus. So the first thing I want to say is, uh, if we look at what's going on in this story, it took a couple of precise moments of decision that required planning, it required pushing, and it required prioritizing. You know, the the parents actually had to think through, we're going to bring our kids here, they're going to, go and encounter Jesus, they had to plan it out. They had to actually think through that possibility and figure out how it was going to happen. Because as I said, their culture was saying, hey, kids aren't that important. They should probably just stay at home. And I mean, I don't know how many of you have had toddlers, but the word that the Bible actually translates here as, as kids is like small kids, little kids, you know, toddlers, babies. I don't know if any of you have ever tried to get a toddler to do anything. We took Isla trick-or-treating last night. Uh, Shannon did. I was handing out candy at the door. She took her out. She said, we got about halfway through the block, and then Isla decided she wanted to go to the park instead of trick-or-treating because she's like 21 months. Like, candy's great, but you know what's really great? The playground. So Shannon literally is like dragging Isla from house to house. She actually had to push her to go and do what was actually going to be great for her. And we need to prioritize. There was other things that they could have said were going to be more important, but they actually had to say, you know, Jesus is here at this time right now, close by. We are going to prioritize an encounter with him. And so my encouragement for us as a church family, and especially for parents, is that in order for us to have our kids have these these moments of, of encounter with Jesus, we actually have to spend some time thinking about it, planning it taking a step back from the craziness and the busyness of life and asking the question, where are those spaces going to be? And our kids are not always going to want to do it. 
Our kids are broken, sinful people just like us. They have lots of other things that are competing for their attention just like us. And, and we actually need to at times like push them into things. And I'm not talking about like, you know, your 18-year-old kid who's like, I don't want to go to church anymore. I'm, I'm talking about when they're in your care, when they're young, when they're willing to listen and submit to your authority, when they're under your authority. We need to actually say sometimes it's not going to be the easiest thing, but it's going to be the best thing. That's why we created the, the parent room. We know, I mean, my wife has taken Isla there. She's like, you suck, Andrew. You have a job where you never have to be there with us. And she's like, it's hard. It's hard to sit through a gathering with a toddler who just wants to go and play. And yet we believe that it's actually important for Isla to understand that she's part of this larger body. Because we think in this space, she's going to be able to encounter Jesus through his people. And we have to prioritize it. We have to say no to some things to say yes to what Jesus has for us. Just some, some quick sort of things that we can start to practice in our daily lives. Number one, we can pray for our kids, and I would encourage you, if, if you don't regularly take time, just out of your, your week, your day, please do so. Pray for your kids, because ultimately, we can give them spaces where they're going to encounter Jesus all they want, but they need to actually have their hearts open to experience him. So regularly take time to pray for your kids, but also pray with your kids. That can be a moment where they experience him. Uh, second, I would say we need to regularly take time to immerse our kids in, in, in the body. The Bible says that the church is the body of Christ, that when we come together, we image what he is like. And if that's the case, the Bible also says where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am as well. Then we know that as we gather here together, as we gather in our community groups, as we gather in our DNA groups, as we gather as friends throughout the week, that Jesus is present I, as a person, Shannon, as a, per, as a person, we're limited. But we as a church are diverse. We have many gifts that the Spirit has given us. And our daughters and sons will be formed by the multitude, hands and feet, and other parts of the body that Jesus brings into their life. Uh, thirdly, I would say, um, I think it's just a regularly good practice as a way to help our kids encounter Jesus to, to immerse them into God's story. You know, if they're old enough right into the Bible, there's so many different translations that can be good. When I was a youth pastor, I often taught from the New Living Translation because it's very accessible. Uh, Isla's pretty young right now, um, and Ben's like a month, so he doesn't know anything except for like the things that a month-year-old knows. <laughs> but, uh, but we're starting even just simple things, like uh, teaching her little Bible verses to repeat. Um, and when she gets a little bit older, we're going to start reading her the Jesus Storybook Bible, uh, which is a phenomenal resource for parents to help their children start to immerse themselves in the story of God and encounter him there through his word. Last couple of things I would say. Um, we can help our kids encounter Jesus through us as we model our lives of submission to him, regularly taking time to engage him. And I'd say this, the parents actually had 
to go themselves to Jesus for their kids to get there. And it'll be very hard for us to help our kids encounter Jesus if we're not regularly encountering him ourselves. And so my encouragement for us is to continue to engage in those places ourselves that will help us encounter Jesus. Finally, last two things here that I'll say before I move on. Um, We can equip our kids in the context of mission. Um, Jesus is pursuing the world. And when we invite our kids into that pursuit with us, uh, they will encounter Jesus inevitably. And finally, when we take those daily moments to humbly share the gospel with them, and sometimes that's in the context of just looking at them saying, you know what, I'm sorry, and I, I need Jesus right now. I had to do that yesterday. I got upset with Isla, overreacted to something. She got upset, and I sat her down, and I don't know how much of this she understood, but I said, Daddy's sorry, Isla. This is why Jesus had to die for Daddy. You know, moments like that are moments where we let our kids encounter Jesus even through, uh, through just sharing the good news of what he's like. All right, so this is the good side. Uh, this is the positive But we see that there's a second response, and this is the response of the disciples. It says that when the kids were brought to Jesus, that the disciples rebuked them. I mean, that means that probably they said, like, get out of here. Like, you're in the wrong. Leave. We don't want you here. And we don't know what the disciples' motivation is. Maybe it was just they, they were incensed that these people were moving against the cultural realities of their day. Maybe they were just super busy because they knew that they were supposed to go to Jerusalem for Passover, and they're like, these guys are getting in their way. Maybe they just simply had a bad day and were frustrated. We don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus looked at what the disciples were saying and said, this is the wrong response. It's the wrong response because the disciples were preventing, they were getting in the way of the children coming and encountering Jesus. And what we can learn from that is that Jesus does not want his people to get in the way of children coming and encountering him. Now, we don't necessarily live in the same culture as the disciples live, But I think if we're really being honest, we take a step back, we too will see that there are a couple of different ways that we can get in the way of our children encountering Jesus. And I want to share kind of two categories of ways. One is what I call when we treat our kids as idols. When we so elevate our children, their needs, their wants, their desires, that those things become the most important things. That can actually be a means by which we uh, get in the way of them encountering Jesus. Now, um, this, this may seem a little bit weird for us because, you know, obviously we believe that, again, like, children are made in the image of God, they're worthy of value and dignity, and we have this high calling as parents and as a church to love them and care for them and hold them up, and that is true. Uh, but something can often happen when our kids become so, so, so important that their wants, their desires, their needs start to become more important to us than Jesus. And the effect of this can be that rather than prioritizing, planning, and pushing for the things that will help them encounter Jesus, we start to plan, prioritize, and push for the things that will help them. And again, these are not bad things, but they can become eternally tragic things if we let those things get in the way of their encounter with Jesus. When children take up 
so much of our time that we can't regularly spend time with Jesus, we're giving them a message. And the message is, those things are more important. Now again, I want to be clear and help us understand what I'm not saying. I've talked a lot about my life uh, this morning and our reality. Uh, We have two kids under two. It is busy. If you ask Shannon, like, do you regularly, like, sit down, read your Bible, and pray? She'd be like, it's been really, really hard. She's probably, like, since Ben was born, like, maybe twice. And, And I actually don't think that that's a bad thing. I think we go through seasons and we go through times where our lives look differently and God is gracious to us in those moments and recognizes that we need him in different ways and different seasons. So I'm not trying to prescribe a particular way for you to do this. What I am trying to help us understand is that season can become our lives if we elevate our kids. Suddenly, it's not just that we have two kids who need us all the time, but now we got to run them to this thing and run them to that thing. And, 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 and they want to do this, and we want to give them that opportunity. And, and before long, we're not even thinking about how they encounter Jesus. We've elevated our kids and their desires and their wants and their needs to such a state that Jesus has taken the back burner in their lives. Now again, this isn't meant to condemn anyone, but simply to invite us into a diagnostic for our lives, to ask ourselves, are we prioritizing these encounters with Jesus or are we actually creating barriers in the way that we elevate our kids? And again, none of these things are bad in and of themselves. But they can become Barriers. There's a second way in which we can become barriers to our kids encountering Jesus, and this is when we do the opposite of that, and this is more in line with what the disciples did, in that we start to devalue our kids. So if the first example is when we treat our kids like God, when we lift them up like idols, this is when we start to treat our kids like sacrifices, and we so prioritize other things that we treat our kids more like a nuisance than a gift. Uh, a couple of days ago on Friday morning, um, I woke up as I normally do at 6 a.m. I have this routine, I get up, I uh, spend a couple of minutes just journaling through my last day to help my brain kind of process so I'm not distracted and I spend time reading my Bible um, and, and, uh, and praying through what I read and, and just kind of meditating on that for a little bit and then praying uh, for you know, something specific, some people in my life. And I try and carve out that time at six so that I'm awake before anyone else in my family so I can have that, just that time for me and, and Jesus to kind of spend together. And Isla uh, woke up at 6.15. So, um, yeah, I'm glad she's like only a year and a half or so because she's been like, Dad, you suck. You're just like throwing me under the bus all the time. (laughs) Um, So she wakes up at 6.15 and I go back and I try and get her back to sleep and it just doesn't doesn't happen. Ten minutes later, she's up again and, and I was just, again, super frustrated. I bring her into the living room and I'm like, you got into my time with Jesus. And the Holy Spirit just like, convicted me. I've been reading through this passage, and he was like, Andrew, 
you're treating this moment like it's a huge colossal inconvenience to you when it could actually be a moment where you help your daughter encounter me. And that completely changed my perspective. Suddenly, instead of seeing my daughter as the inconvenience to the thing that I wanted to do, I saw this as a moment where I actually got to invite my daughter into my process of meeting with Jesus so that she could have an encounter with him too. On Fridays, uh, I make it a priority to, to, to pray for my extended family, for my brothers and sisters-in-law, my mom and my dad, my, my in-laws, all people that, you know, Isla loves and knows, and so I just invited her. I was like, hey, Isla, Daddy's going to pray for Nana and Papa and Uncle Troy and Auntie Kimmy and went through the list of different people in her life, and, and she was able to come and just pray with me. And that moment could have been lost. I could have actually become a barrier for her encounter with Jesus if I just disregarded her as unimportant in that moment, as an inconvenience to what I wanted to do. Uh, there's so many, so many ways that we can do this. And again, I recognize that, you know, as parents, like, this is hard. And there are times, like, it's, it's not bad for me to want to have time in the morning without my daughter. Like, that's actually not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Um, but I can miss out on these moments if it becomes the greatest thing, where I've actually so elevated my wants, my needs, and my desires that I neglect to help my daughter encounter Jesus in those moments. And we can do that, you know, we can do that when we think that media or, you know, Netflix or whatever becomes a greater prioritization for us than prioritizing our kids' encounters with Jesus. There's this really, really beautiful story uh, that I read a little while ago. Um, it's in a book called the, the Art of Neighboring. And this pastor and his family moved into a new neighborhood. And they, they just felt so compelled that God had called them to mission in this neighborhood. They said, like, we have all these people who don't know Jesus, and we want to invest deeply in their lives so that they can encounter him through us. And their kids had been part of all these really, really good, uh, beautiful activities in the town that they had moved from. And they found out that they could get into similar activities, but it was going to be in a town a few, uh, a few kilometers away, um, and that would take them out of that community a couple of nights a week. And, and so they sat down and they said, you know what, we're actually going to say no to those activities so that we can say yes to what Jesus has called us to for our family. You know, so many times we just don't simply plan um, the, the things that, that, that Jesus wants to uh, have in our lives that will help our kids encounter him. And we make all of our plans about other things, whether that's for ourselves or for our kids. And instead of them having the priority of encountering Jesus, we prioritize so many other things. And so one of the things that we can do to help us not treat our kids like a sacrifice or an idol is by simply sitting down and actually planning through what are those things and actually working our week around those, those things that will help them encounter Jesus versus the other things. And again, none of those things are bad. I mean, we want to put Isla in all kinds of activities, like swimming lessons, like I love music, I want her to learn music, and I played soccer, I want her to play soccer, and Shannon's like, I want to put her in gymnastics, and all this great stuff, and we probably will put her in many of those things. But those things can become barriers if we don't first say what are the most important things, the important places where she can have encounters with Jesus. 
And so we have these two ways that we in our culture, we as persons, can sometimes get in the way can become like the disciples where we become a barrier to our kids' encounter with Jesus. And again, this isn't simply just parents. I mean, as a church, we can do this in the way that we treat and interact with kids. Uh, sometimes they come and we, we treat them like second-class citizens. Like, think about, uh, for those of us who are part of community groups, do we actually intentionally plan for our kids to have encounters with Jesus in that space, or are they just the inconvenience that we say, okay, we're gonna throw you in front of Netflix so the adults can have the real conversation? And that's to me, that's to my community group. We do that a lot, and we need to rethink it. Uh, And it's clear that Jesus looks at this, and he actually rebukes it. He says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. So on one hand, we see that Jesus holds up the example of the parents who will go to any lengths to make sure their kids have an encounter with him. And he holds up the example of the disciples and says, hey, uh, we do not want to be a people. You should not be a people that get in the way of my kids coming and having an encounter with me. And we look at that, we think, okay, well, that's great. Like, I'll just be like the parents and just make sure I have encounters, my kids have encounters with Jesus, except for here's the thing, we don't. We don't, we suck at this. You know, we have some good days, we have some bad days, but we're not consistently like this. We don't, we don't consistently help our kids have these encounters with Jesus. We consistently either elevate them or devalue them around our own needs and desires. I do it, Chris does it, Matt does it, Ken did it his kids probably still does sometimes so we have this calling and yet as we look at our lives we see that we are continually not meeting it and it's easy to just look at this list that i gave you and be so overwhelmed and think man i don't know how i'm ever going to be able to do this and to get into despair and this is where jesus's next words are so so sweet for us listen to what he says Let the children come to me and do not hinder them for, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. She says, look at what these kids are like. They're so humbly dependent on their parents. They need their parents to bring them to me. when we get to this moment where we look at our kids and recognize that we don't have what it takes, Jesus says, that's the exact spot you need to be because that's when you come to me like a little child and you can be humble and you can be dependent and you can cry out and say, Jesus, I can't fix my kids. I don't know what they need. I don't even know how to get them to encounter you. And church, this is, so beautiful. It does two things for our hearts. When you get to that moment where you look around and you feel like just in despair because you're like, my kids are a mess. Uh, Maybe you're a family and you've gone through a messy divorce and, and you are like, I'm just trying, like my spouse isn't following Jesus. I don't even know how I'm gonna do this. You think, no matter how hard I work, I don't know if my kids are gonna get it. Maybe you're simply just busy 
and you don't know how to like unload some of that. Maybe you have multiple kids and you're just worried. Like, how do I evenly do this for all four or five of my kids? And we get to that moment where we feel overwhelmed and we move towards despair. This beautiful message of the gospel comes in and lifts us up and it says, your kid's salvation, your kid's well-being, your kid's turning out is not on your shoulders. You can't fix them. You are incapable, but there is one who can. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't just wait for people to come and be brought to him. He chased them down. He left heaven to pursue us, and he has left heaven to pursue your kids. And when you start to feel overwhelmed because you are failing, the gospel comes in and reminds you no matter how much you fail, Jesus has succeeded. And so you can come humbly and cry out to him and trust that he loves your kids more deeply than you do and he, and he alone is the one that can transform them into the beings that they are called to be as image bearers. At the same time, it humbles us. I am prone to look at my own life and when I'm doing well, think that is because I am awesome. And look around everyone else and be like, hey, my kids are well-behaved, why aren't your kids well-behaved? Start to think, well, it's because I'm such a great parent. Kelly's laughing because she watches my daughter and she knows. (laughs) She knows the truth. And yet, the gospel crashes into us and says, no, you're not. Every once in a while, you see these families and they look like they have it all together. They've done all the right things and yet their kids go off the rails. And then you see these families and they're a mess. And you're like, oh man, you're gonna wreck your kids and then their kids turn out to be amazing. Why is that? It's because every time our kids should be a mess because we're a mess. It doesn't matter how good your life looks. In fact, you might actually be a barrier to your kids encountering Jesus by your good life if you are doing it like the Pharisees where you're imparting the self-righteous, self-reliant attitude onto them where they start to think, oh my gosh, I'm awesome, I don't need Jesus. And the gospel comes and says, they do, you do. You can't do this without him. And so it humbles us. So if the gospel is the answer, how do we respond? What is clear that Jesus is holding up the example of the parents and saying this is what we should pursue, and we should. We should. We should pursue, plan, prioritize, and push for our kids to have regular encounters with Jesus. Dallas Willard, who's a little bit of a spiritual, a Christian spiritual guru, so to speak, he has this great saying, and I think it's helpful for us. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning Earning is an attitude and effort is an action. So we come to a text like this and we enter into the invitation that Jesus has for us 
to regularly as parents do our best to find and push and plan for ways for our kids to encounter Jesus. As a church family, as single people, as teenagers, we look around at the kids that are in our lives as glory has and said, we are going to look for ways that we can uh, plan and prepare places and times where the kids in our lives to encounter Jesus. And yet, We don't hope in those things. We don't hope in our efforts. We hope ultimately in in Jesus' intervention in our kids' lives. And so when things don't go to plan, we don't despair. We go to prayer. We get down on our knees and regularly, again, say, Jesus, I need you. I'm like a baby who doesn't know what to do here. I can't fix this. I can't fix this kid. I don't know how to parent them in this situation. I don't even know how to get them to come know you. Will you meet them? And this is a response that we're invited into. I want to finish off here, if you have your communion cup, by inviting us to the communion table. Uh, Communion is this regular practice that we have weekly Uh, that Jesus instituted with his first followers as a reminder of the dependency that they had upon him. As a reminder that they, just like us, need to regularly come to him as children and ask him to intervene on our behalf. It says that the very last supper that he had before he went to the cross, they were celebrating the Passover meal and the bread came around. And as it came around, Jesus took it And he lifted up and he said, this is a picture of my body broken for you. Though you were called to be image bearers, you were inherently marred. And though I was perfect as an image bearer, I became marred so that you could be made perfect. So as we eat this uh, tasteless wafer, (laughs) um, I just invite us to be reminded of our dependency upon Jesus. Later in the evening, the cup of wine was being passed around, and when it came to Jesus, Jesus held it up to his disciples, and he said, this represents the new covenant of my blood. This represents a change of reality for you, that you were invited to be a new human, a new creation through me. And so as we think about the tasks that we've been given as parents, let us be reminded that first and foremost, we need to become new creations in Jesus. And let's invite our kids to encounter him so they too can be invited to become new creations through the new covenant of his blood shed for us. Father, um, I come before you as a parent. I come before you as part of this church family and just recognition that I mess it up a lot. And, uh, and I know we all do. And yet, Father, you've invited us to come humbly in dependence upon you, knowing that you are a better father than any uh, parent could be, a parent to their kids, that you love our kids more than we do. And so we just pray and ask that you would encounter them. We ask that in the moments that we are able to plan for and prioritize encounters with you, that you would meet our kids there, that you would soften their hearts in that space, 
that they could respond to you. I pray this in your name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand as we finish off.